You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Andre, I'm hopping mad. You are always hopping mad. What are I, you hopping mad about this time? Well, you know, and hopping's a good word because uh, kangaroos have things to do with this. Uh, I was reading uh, an article in the uh, St. Catherine Standard, but I had heard things before about some kind of uh, uh, trade um dispute dispute that's yep. the word i'm looking for that australia had launched in ontario and i had heard that wineries were were livid and then i read a small like it was a really short article uh in the saint catherine standard and i thought that's way too short for what this is because i think it's a, a much larger issue totally and i got a i got a phone call um from a, a small to medium-sized winery owner who wanted to remain anonymous so i'll be full disclosure some of the stuff we're going to talk about are some questions that they raised um but it, it was basically just talking about how there's now an excise tax that's being added to Ontario wine uh, because of a, a, a trade dispute that Australia successfully lobbied the government to put in place. And I know that the trade dispute doesn't just include wine. And I think our guests might be able to talk to us a little bit about that. Uh, but basically, this excise tax tax is going to add $60,000 onto his production cost uh over the course of a year, enough to hire. Well, we should let him him talk about it. Uh, today we are joined by Alan Schmidt, and Alan, why don't you introduce yourself and and why we would want to speak to you of all people? <laughs> Great. Well, thanks, guys. It's a, a pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, I, um, my name is Alan Schmidt. I am the president of Vineland Estates Winery, uh, and uh, I've been here for the last uh, thirty five years. Uh, I originally started as the winemaker at uh, at our winery, and. Uh, and my brother Brian joined uh, actually 30 years ago uh, this harvest, and uh, he took over winemaking, and it quickly became obvious that he'd be a much better winemaker than than I was. Uh, he's more artistic, uh, thinks uh, on the other side of his brain. Um, I'm more of a numbers guy, and so we quickly um, uh, divvied up the, the duties and the tasks here at Vineland, and it sort of fell like this, that... Uh, uh, Brian was everything to do about the art of wine, and I assumed all the roles about the business of wine. And uh, that had put me on the Wine Council of Ontario for the last uh, 33 years. Uh, we've now been rebranded as uh, Ontario Craft Wineries. And so I spent probably 50% of my time on that board and uh, and six other boards, uh, wine boards uh, in Ontario and Canada. And we're dealing with um government situations regulations uh, i'm sure your viewers can understand just how regulated we are um you know being uh, being alcohol product uh however you know with the newly emerged uh, you know cannabis uh rules and regulations they're actually less regulated uh and less taxed uh, than we are uh that's because they came into existence a couple years ago and and we still have rules and regulations that go back to the uh, era of prohibition in the 1920s that haven't uh, changed. So, so yeah. So um, what you're talking about is this Australian trade challenge. <clears throat> we uh, <clears throat> it was filed a couple of years ago, and uh, it, it came to a head this uh, this summer when there was going to be uh, a, a ruling by the organization. And and basically, what what it is is um, in Canada, you know, there is an excise tax that's charged on, on all liquor, a, a federal tax. <clears throat> it's about 65 cents a liter on wine. 
And um, we, as an industry, we were paying this years ago um, when the markup of the LCBO was only 1%. So there was lots of, today it's 100%. We'll talk about that later. But um, <clears throat> what happened is um, um, we realized that the rest of the world has excise taxes, including uh, Australia uh, and the United States. But they have an end for their small, uh, we refer to as the craft industry now, but uh, smaller craft wineries um, uh, have an exemption. And so we approached the federal, Canadian federal government years ago and said, you know, in the United States, you know, up to your first, I think it's 500,000 gallons of wine as a small winery, you don't, you pay a, a lesser uh, uh, federal excise tax rate. Uh, Australia's got the same thing. So our government said, yeah, okay, that makes sense. So they did that. And instead of making it just for small wineries, they gave us a blanket exemption that said, yeah, Canadian, if it's 100% Canadian content, you don't, uh, you'll be exempt from this tax. Well, that ended up being uh, uh, um, trade challenged by uh, a couple countries over the years uh, through the WTO. Those challenges never went to fruition, never went to a full panel, uh, but Australia uh, stepped on it a couple of years ago and it actually went to a full uh, panel. And uh, the point uh, where we've ended up is um, that uh, Canada now has to revoke that exemption for Canadian wines and they have actually two years to uh, get it in, uh, to remove it. Um, and so despite Australia having this same exemption for their wineries in the United States and many other countries, uh, we've now lost this exemption. And at 65 cents a liter, um, it's gonna add about $1.20 per bottle to uh, on, uh, Ontario VQA wines. Uh, and it's gonna probably, you know, if you're in the 1495, you know, that fighting varietal um, price point, and all of a sudden you're going up to $17, um, you know, we're going to see sales, uh, you know, decrease. So so we're, we're, we're very upset about that, uh, that we basically um, had to concede on that and lose that uh, challenge. So, um, so we're dealing with that. We do have, we did speak with the federal government and Bill Morneau, the, uh, the previous uh, finance <laughs> minister, actually gave us a, uh, a, a nice letter that said, yeah, we, we understand what's happening. We have your back um, and uh, we'll figure out how to uh, compensate that uh, in the future. Ironically, the World Trade Organization, which is ruled by uh, a lot of it by the GATT rulings, General Agreement on Tariff and, and Trade, actually do permit a domestic country or uh, a government to provide subsidies to its domestic uh, product, uh, whether it be wine or, or wheat or whatever. Um, and, you know, many people know that uh, most of Europe, you know, there's, I think it's over a billion dollar, a billion euros um, that's provided to agriculture through the EU uh, in subsidies. These are all allowed under the World Trade Organization. Um, and so I think that's what we're going to have to end up with here in, in Canada. Um, but the uh, the problem is, is if you tax uh, an import product, you have to tax the domestic product the same way. And then the next day you can provide a subsidy uh, back uh, to that commodity. So the problem is that our government set it up the wrong way. Um, we've lost it. And uh, so we're in flux now. We don't know what's going to happen. So you're just telling me that this is... Um a game of semantics that the Australian government is is playing with the Canadian government? And I guess how strong is the commitment from the federal government to put a subsidy in place to help protect the industry? 
Well, well, we have a letter signed by the finance minister, uh, who's no longer the finance minister. So yeah. uh, we, we've reached out to uh, Chrystia Freeland, um, and uh, uh, who's you know the new minister, or maybe perhaps the interim minister. Uh, and, and and we believe that that, uh, that 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 his signature and the Canadian government's you know commitment to back our industry um, is is sincere. And, and uh, but in the meantime, you know uh, uh, we have to get something in place because you know we're doing a new harvest right now for wine that's going to be sold a year or so from now, and uh, we need to know uh, what that business environment is going to look like. Well, I know Andre and I spoke to Nicholas Patel uh, quite a bit ago, and he said that, you know, French winemakers have this limit, and then that's why they hold wine in their um, in their cellars. Andre, you remember that that conversation? Yeah, we he, had ex- with- he explained, like, the reason that these old, like, in, in Burgundy, that there's, if you're a small producer, you have the tax exempt, and if you go over it in certain years, you can hold your production back and then sell it in another year where your production isn't as high and reap the tax benefit from it. Yeah. Yeah, so exactly. something something telling you that's very very similar to what is what is going on around the world. So are you looking for like them to set it up properly? And I'm talking about the government to set up a limit such as they have in Burgundy in in Australia, instead yeah, of just the, the whole. The work, yeah, whole uh, you know, production? so we're, we're we're working with the government. Um, you know, obviously, uh, government's preoccupied with the pandemic right now, and we understand that. Um, and. Uh, you know, we'd like to sit down with them in a working group and uh, try and show them some analysis of the, how the rest of the world uh, does this um, and to provide some certainty. So, so I, I, still, I still feel confident that the federal government will honor that letter that we have and uh, we'll find some resolution to us. So one thing that you said in the uh, article with the St. Catherine Standard is that you're going to see the first wave of the impact in about four weeks. And I think you're talking about both the impact of COVID-19 being um, amplified by this new tax as well. What what sort of impact are we going to see on the industry in that four-week period? Yeah, so I, I I need to separate the issues. The uh, the first one we just talked about is the federal excise tax. That's yes. obviously applied all across Canada, and nothing changes, you know, for the next two years or a year or so anyway. Um, we're also uh, actually uh, Australia had about eight other challenges within Ontario about how we distribute uh, wine and stuff, and how the large wineries have uh, access to um, you know 300 grocery stores that they've had for years, and and that's been grandfathered, and they wanted into those stores. But I can't even get in, into those stores or, or get one of those store licenses. But, but the other part of the equation is um, all the tax, the tax regime provincially, and I'm, I'm now speaking just specifically of Ontario. And um, in Ontario, um, we've got a very strange system that's evolved, uh, you know, from the uh, 1920s when the LCBO, you know, first started, and, and we came out of prohibition. Um, and we've got some taxes and distribution uh, regulations that you just don't see anywhere around the world. Let me explain one of them. The LCBO, which I think is a great purveyor of, of uh, alcohol and spirits, uh, I think they, they, they do a great job, but they have one markup on wine. It's 100% markup. I sell them a bottle of wine for $10. They mark it up to $20 uh, and then HST on top of it. Well, I, I get that. That's a... Uh, they're running three divisions. They're being an importer, a distributor, and a retailer. But they happen to be doing all three, and they're a government agency. Now let's look at the United States. If, if you're a winery in New York State or California, um, 
those three systems, the three tier system are run by private enterprise. There's private importers that import wine into the country and they'll market up, I don't know, maybe 30, 35%. And then they sell to state distributors that market up another 35%. Then it goes to retailers uh, and sold to them, market up another 30, 35%. So there's a hundred percent markup there, the same as Ontario. So when I sell wine in the United States, I have to go through that three-tier distribution system and my product is doubled in price by the time it gets on the shelf. I get that. But a, a New York State winery or a California winery, because they're in the country, they don't have to sell first to an importer. They skip that. If they're in state and selling the wine in the state, they don't have to go through a distributor. They can sell directly to a retail store or a restaurant or a hotel, um, and they don't have to go through the distributor. So they definitely save the 30, 35% import uh, tax or markup, and they may even save the 30, 35% distribution tax. Now, in, uh, and, but they're local, I get that. I don't get that privilege in the States, but however, in Ontario, uh, Ontario VQA wines, um, have to pay the 35% import tax at the LCBO, the distributor tax and the retailer tax. So we've been saying for years that, you know, that's not fair. No other winery in the world has to sell their wine to an, uh, the country's importer before it ends up on a shelf. Um, and so, you know, the government agreed with us years ago and provided, a, it's called a BQA support program. It's capped, it's only about 20% of the wine made in Ontario will get this import tax back. We're asking for it to be uncapped, just like they've done in British Columbia, the way they've done it in Nova Scotia. Um, and uh, to give us parity, like the way the rest of the world is treated. Um, so we're asking for that. There's this other tax that I think you're referring to in the standard. Um, there's another tax, it's a 6.1% tax. I call it a tax on the farm or a tax on tourism. It's a, it's a tax that's applied to Ontario wine retail stores at our winery. Um, and it goes to the government and the LCBO, even though they, they don't touch our product, they don't do anything, it's on top of the HST, um, and it's just a sin tax on, on basically tourism and the farm. But the tax years ago when it came in, uh, came in at 1%, we didn't say too much, we said, well, fine, it's only 1%, then it went to 2%, and then it went to 6.1%. Um, and so the Ontario government, I actually got to give Premier Ford credit because when he was elected in June three years ago, one, one of his campaign promises was he's going to look at alcohol distribution reforms in Ontario. And they've started that and we're having consultations with them and they are looking at revamping the distribution and hopefully the taxation um, in, in our category for Ontario wines. Um, that actually all stopped, you know, obviously <clears throat> when, when COVID hit, and we've been, you know, sidelined with that. But that so we're that, looking forward to its time. That that, that yeah, being said, though, the, the Ford government has been sneaking in a few um, uh, a few nuggets that have been helpful to the beverage industry, kind of a, a, across the board, um, with a lot of the wine bars in in Toronto and in other cities uh, converting themselves to to bottle shops. So for some of the smaller, more boutique wineries in, in Niagara, they are finally getting a little bit of, of access to the market and the consumers uh, benefiting from better selection. And we're seeing that even with a markup, you know, a fair markup, not having to go through the, the LCBO, people are still, are still buying the wines. Yeah, that, that was a great initiative and they moved so quickly on it. It was actually a result of a, of, of a Ontario wine industry 
petition that Marcel at, uh, at Fondue Winery actually put together, started, and we got thousands and thousands of signatures, and the government moved very quickly. So, yeah, I, I, again, I, I give the Ford credit government uh, credit. Uh, when they latch onto something, they're not afraid to uh, enact it and, and move quickly. And all we uh, needed, government can so, move yeah, quickly. all we needed, all we needed was a pandemic to get some like minor reform on on, on beverage distribution. Who would have thought? Yeah, yeah. But, you know, the, this other tax that remains, the 6.1% tax, um, you know, imports uh, aren't charged this tax because they don't have their own retail stores. So uh, it's obvious. Um, but the government could, uh, could you know, uh, rewind this tax back down to 1% or eliminate it. Um, and for me, I'd be, I, I'd be able to hire probably three additional people in my uh, wine store, you know, to do tastings outside that we're doing, you know, with COVID protection and tents right now. So, um, so yeah, so the, the, you know, all of these, this tax, these tax reforms, um, plus the federal excise tax, we're all in, in, in a situation of uncertainty with the wineries right now. And um, this uncertainty is leading to grapes not being purchased. I've actually canceled some of our grape contracts this year because um, our sales have gone down at the uh, with restaurants in Ontario, obviously because of uh, less business. And I don't have the confidence to say in a year or two, I think the tax regime and our, our, mark, uh, our margins will be better, that I'll invest hundreds of thousands of dollars this year in more grapes. And a lot of smaller wineries have been, have been doing that. Um, so, you know, we're going to see some grapes hitting the ground this year. And that's really sad because that's Ontario farmers and families. Uh, we are one of them. Every winery in Ontario has to have their own vineyards as well, a minimum acreage. So, so how much, you know, how, wine... how, how much are you scaling? How much is Vineland scaling back their production this year just because of the, um, economic uncertainty? Yes, we're, we're looking at probably about a 20% uh, scale back. Uh, and that's simply because of, uh, uh, export sales uh, in China obviously have slowed right down. It was a big market for us, Hong Kong, uh, Japan. Uh, we're starting to see that open up again, but we haven't had sales there, you know, since uh, since March. And, uh, you know, we're talking about hundreds of thousands of dollars. So that lost opportunity, you know, has forced us to, you know, uh, cut back on some of our great purchases. So, so you would be considered, for Ontario, about a medium-sized winery, would you not, Alan? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it would be a, would be a medium size. So you've, yeah. you've talked about basically medium and small, and I don't know if you can talk about this, but uh, how at all does it does this affect uh, large producers, say like Peller or Artera? Well, th th there's an interesting thing because um, you know we we see weekly uh, we have a, <clears throat> a system that shows all the sales at the LCBO of, of all wine products and spreadsheets and databases. And so we can actually see everybody's sales. And um, when the pandemic hit, uh, or March 17th, when the emergency declaration was declared, um, we saw a huge uh, influx of buying wine at the LCBO. And, and a bit of it was you know, hoarding. People didn't know if the LCBO stores were gonna be closed. Um, so sales actually boomed uh, for that month. And the LCBO even admitted for that week, uh, they were actually busier than the week before Christmas. Uh, you know, that, that's how many people were flocking to the stores. And what they ended up, people ended up buying um, was large volume packages, um, one and a half liter bottles, three liter bottles, bag in a box. They were buying volume to stock up. And those are not the formats that BQA wine generally sell in. So, 
you know, as I think you guys understand, there's two types of wine that is bottled by Ontario wineries. One is BQA 100% Ontario wine. Uh, that's pretty straightforward. The other wine that can be bottled is what's called international domestic blend. And um, there's a regulation that, that uh, prescribes how that's done, but it can have up to 75% import content, finished wine from uh, South America, Australia, Bulgaria, wherever in the world, and uh, they ha have to blend it with 25% Ontario wine, and then they can sell it at the LCBO uh, and call it international domestic blends. And um, these are more val you know, value-priced wines, usually under $10 and usually in larger formats. So, um, but a lot of consumers are confused by that because they go into an LCBO and they see the name of a large winery that they recognize as a legitimate Ontario company, and they think I'm supporting, on, uh, you know, Ontario grape growers, uh, and they're not. They're supporting, you know, foreign grape growers. So, um, so there was a boom uh, on Ontario wine sales with the pandemic, but it wasn't Ontario grapes. It was uh, Ontario wineries making these uh, these import blends. And I, so, I guess bringing it back to the um, the Australian excise tax as well, um, I've heard a, a couple people ask questions about whether or not uh, Peller or Terra are in a position to benefit because a lot of the uh, juice that they would import to make these uh, wines made from import and domestic blends could be coming from Australia. Yeah, that was the real puzzling thing to me in this whole World Trade uh, Organization challenge is Australia was saying, you know, that they, they don't have good access to our mar our market um, because, um, you know, we have this exemption, excise tax exemption, and, and they don't. Um, however, most of the Australian wine that comes into Ontario comes in in tankers uh, and, and is bottled in Ontario by by larger wineries, and then most of it's sold in the uh, offsite retail stores in grocery stores. You know that are owned by uh, the large wineries um, and they don't have to pay any LCBO uh, markups at this 100% markup. So Australia, Australia wine has got unbelievably great access to Ontario. They have access that I don't even have. I can't open up one of those 300 stores that have been grandfathered that the, you know three large wineries own. Um, so that was always puzzling, um, you know, that uh, Australia actually does really well in, in this market. That's the other thing. When you look at, you know, Ontario VQA wines at the LCBO, we're only representing about a seven to eight percent market share of the total wine, you know, category. Um, and uh, the international domestic blends are two and three times, you know, that uh, that market share. But they have Australian wine in them. So, so you could argue it has better market share than you know VQA wines. So and people don't uh, realize that they are they're buying Australian because it is marketed under a Peller label or other under a uh, under yeah. an Artera label. Well, and to boot yeah. and to boot, yeah, uh, it's not the, like Australians importing a ton of Canadian wine as well, whether it be ice wine or table wine. Yeah, yeah, they 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 don't import any Canadian product. But but what what the larger Ontario wineries are doing is not uh, there's nothing wrong with what they're doing that's the regulation they're making wine under ontario uh, uh, regulations um the, the the problem is is how it's marketed to the consumer um we started vq i was one of the founding directors in 1987 on the vqa board when we started it um and one of the reasons we did that 
was to differentiate um, VQA, or well, what is now VQA wines uh, from these international blends. There was no way of differentiating them before. And that's what VQA has done. And we're now 30 years into VQA and we made a lot of headway there. People know what, what they may not know all the rules and regulations of VQA, but they know it means, you know, that's the good wine, that's 100% Ontario. I know what the, that is. However, when you go, you know, the LCBO um, is just actually in, in this uh, in September. They have an Ontario wine promotion on. They do every year, and for the first time, uh, they they've been very successful in uh, in, in their go local campaign, buy local, uh, especially during the pandemic. That makes a lot of sense. Uh, customers are it's resonating with customers, uh, but this year. For some strange reason, the LCBO has decided to include these international Canadian blends as local wine. So they're being shelved uh, on, on uh, end aisle displays or on tables with VQA wine and the bag in a box wine from Australia, and they're being called both called local. So that's where it's confusing. Uh, I, I don't blame the wineries for the, for this. They're, they're doing what the regulation allows, but uh, it's confusing. No, this, this again is a, is an LCBO issue. And, and yeah. if I remember correctly, and it's been a few years since they've done this, Alan, you'll, you'll remember when, yeah. when they used to be called. Um, uh, Colored in Canada. Yeah. Uh, Cellared in Canada. That's right. Yeah. And, and there was so much confusion. Everybody thought they were buying a Canadian wine. It's like buying, you know, uh, pineapples that say product of Canada. And just because they were, they were, per they were, they were packaged here. doesn't exactly. mean Canadian pineapples. That's exactly the analogy I've used before. I've used that with orange juice, you know, concentrate. If it's packaged in Ontario, but it's concentrate from, you know, Florida, that's not local. So you're absolutely right. So those, you know, years ago, those wines were called cellared in Canada. Well, that's very confusing. People think cellared, okay, that means they made it in Canada. That's Canadian product. Um, so the industry got upset about that, and then they changed it, and it became uh, international Canadian blends. And so that is what the uh, liquor boards across the country, they put the mastheads above the, the shelves, international Canadian blend. So that word Canadian is all that many customers saw, and they go, oh, Canadian wine. Okay, that's what I want. I want to support Canadian grape growers. Um, so recently, or a year, a couple of years ago, industry with Canadian Food Inspection Agency, um, they changed the name again, and now it's called... Uh, uh, international domestic blend. They dropped the word Canadian, uh, which I fully support, uh, and it's international domestic blend. So we thought, great, we're now making headway. We've taken the word Canada out of there. Uh, it's very simple now. People know they're going to be on two different shelves, and we sort of celebrated that. And then this summer, we found out, you know, the LCBO wants to knock us back 30 years and uh, say these uh, import wines are local. Well, I've always I've always thought they should be in two different sections of the store. I thought VQA should be in one section and not just in separate shelves. Yeah. But I always find that the LCBO had like VQA on one side and it was like on the same side of the aisle. Yeah. Down the left hand side was VQA. Down the right hand side was this uh, domestic uh, international blend. Yeah. Well, and and I think the problem honest, I think should have been like at the back of the store. Like you want to buy something in a bag in a box. You know, go to the back of the store, go to the shame aisle where you where you don't care where your wine is from. But the, I mean, the problem is so much bigger than just what the LCBO is doing in terms of labeling. I mean, you talked about the 300 grandfathered uh, license stores, the fact that, uh, you know, these places have a tiny VQA section in them, but the rest of the, the wines are largely the 
uh, ICB wines right. available means that you, you it's not yeah. just at the LCBO, it's you, you actually have these businesses, Peller and Artera, you know, marketing their wines as if they're local products. And right. that's and that's yeah exactly. And that's not to like completely crap on 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 what's going on. This is a business you've got to make make money, but it just it does feel a little dishonest. And there could be a better effort made um, by the LCBO and by Peller and by Artera to educate the customers on VQA wines, especially in those types of stores. Well, I think yeah, Alan yeah. brought up a, a really good point where he said that there's a lot of Australian wine being poured into these bottles and it really should say on the front of that label you know you know australia 75 percent ontario 25 percent. so at least people would know that they are tasting um mostly australia or bolivia or wherever else they're yeah <laughs> okay so let's just say as as consumers i know a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast are people in the industry but if you had to give a message to consumers what can we do to just help like if, if there's anything at all that we can do short of lobbying the government ourselves, what can we do to help on the Ontario wineries uh, weather the storm and, uh, you know, maybe get another step forward while the government seems to be pushing you back? Well, um, cons- consumers in Ontario have been responding very well since the, you know, the, the COVID started with buying wine online directly from the winery. Um, you know, that, that's where the best margins are. That helps the winery the, the best. We, you know, we've seen all wineries in Ontario, you know, have, have seen their sales, um, you know, 10 times what they would have been a year ago uh, with online sales. So that's the best way. But, but still go to the LCBO. You know, they do have a good selection of VQA wines there, but you got to make sure you're looking for the VQA uh, symbol or um, and, and the markings or, or the appellation on the front, whether that's, uh, you know, uh, the bench, whether that's Ontario or Niagara Escarpment. Uh, look for that those appellations. Uh, and if you're confused, um, you know, a- ask somebody. Because in the LCBO, they actually have um, uh, 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 called Wild Leaders, the, uh, the uh, wonderful Ontario wines. And uh, there's actually people that you know are trained in the stores that do know this. So, uh, but uh, the simplest thing is look for the VQA appellation on the label or the uh, or the logo. So there's there's no thought about we should all be mad at Australia for for doing this and boycott buying Australian wine. Um, no, because there's there's I was, there's, I, there's I was, I was being a shit disturber there, Alan. Yeah, I'm pretty no, sure. No. The, 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 you know, a lot of people that brings up a really good point, Michael. A lot of people come to me and and they boast. They go, you know what? I only drink Ontario wine. I love your wine. I only drink it. And I say, well, that that's really good. You know, as long as the majority of the wine you're you're drinking, you know, is Ontario. But you know, there's a whole world of great wines out there, and, and you guys are talking about them all the time. And I'm in the wine industry, and you know, I have colleagues, you know, all over the world that have got great wines and, and wineries, and 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 I open them up at home all the time and with my friends. And so, um, it, it, it's it's not about uh, boycotting it. It's it's knowing what you're buying, uh, whether it. it if it's Australian in the bottle, then it should say Australian, and you're making a choice to try an Australian wine and then compare it with another. But when there's Australian wine in the bottle and it's masquerading as Canadian, then you don't know what you're drinking and you're completely confused. And that's the, that, That's what I'm upset about. 
It's a, it's a Alan, bastardized that was, version of wine. Not only that, Alan, Alan, that was such a diplomatic answer. I think you should have been on the uh, negotiation team when with the uh, Australian <laughs> trade dispute. I'm sure there would have been a different in, a different outcome. Yeah. Well, I was on the industry negotiating task force, and it was quite frustrating. So, uh, anyway. <laughs> Alan, we'd like to thank you for your time. I know it's it's getting on to, to dinner time and, of course, yeah. wine time. So uh, we'd like to thank you this evening for, for joining us, and uh, I hope this all gets resolved. Yeah, well, we're my, my brother just started our, our harvest, um, you know, this morning, and so there's so many great things happening in our industry. Um, and so, it looks you know, like I don't it's going to be a your, great year too. Yeah, I, so I don't want to bring your 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 customers down and, and your followers down. There's great <laughs> things happening in our industry, but you know, if we can get these taxes changed around and distribution changed, um, then we could look like British Columbia, which has a twenty percent market share of VQA wine in their own province. We're only at seven and eight percent, so we've got so much more room to grow. There's great things happening, and you guys do a great job of promoting it for us. So thank you very much. Well, thanks. The moment those taxes change, we'll make, we'll make sure that we get you on to. To, uh, let us know what's going on as well because this is something Great. that the listeners thanks, need to know about keep us posted alan thank you okay thanks guys i know that was a very interesting frank and honest conversation I, I i think that there was a lot of information in this podcast that people didn't know about and that's kind of unusual for two guys talking wine because i don't think people try to learn stuff from us well, I was hoping that they would learn something. Alan's a very informative guy. He is the numbers guy. And I have to be honest, Andre, I uh, uh, while he was talking, I, I did write down a whole bunch of numbers that he was, was passing out there. So uh, he really is a, a numbers guy. Um, so, you know what? Um, I think we can take it away. I'm Andre Pru from andrewinterview.ca. Make sure you, you uh, take a moment to check out our Patreon. Uh, we very much appreciate the support. Um we are working on some uh, new incentives, so bookmark it, check it out. You should see that hopefully by October. We're working hard on it. And yeah, you can follow me on we, social uh, we, media. We brainstorm at- a little bit. We brainstorm a little bit every time. So uh, uh, with each with each little bit of our brain that we have. <laughs> we just really uh, want to uh, make it worthwhile. We know that, yes. that we know that listening to us is already the sunshine in, in a lot of people's days. Um <laughs> But you know, we we want to, we want to bring some value added content to you. So follow me on social media at Andre Wine Review. Uh, you can follow me at uh, MichaelPinkusWineReview.com and uh, all kinds of social media is the great guy and also Michael Pincus. Andre, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, one of these days, we'll get together for a glass of wine, uh, and maybe possibly a, card a board game. Or game. Two. Yeah, we got a board game that uh, card game that's going to be heading our way. But uh, I don't want to give too much information. But it looks like it's going to be good. Yeah, so we should get together and, and and try that out. Maybe do a maybe do a live recording of of that game. That might be interesting. I think I think that's a good idea. Uh, Andre, Take it as away. always, go have some dinner. I'm having egg roll in a bowl again. It's always my post podcast dinner. Good night. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.